this evening, I want to use an illustration. Everybody probably knows the Rubik's Cube. Uh, is anybody proficient at that and can do an Rubik's Cube? Um, so it's kind of a, a situation where it's one of those things where you, there is a trick to it and you have to learn. And you can go to the YouTube and you can, uh, you can go ahead and figure out the trick. But I have to be honest with you, the explanation was more detailed than anything else. I couldn't even get in. It's like, why am I doing this? You know, my age, why do I want to do that? So I'm not even going to watch it. But it is interesting. You have those things. I guess it could be called a conundrum. Conundrum is something that you can't figure out, doesn't fit together, but it eventually does. And that would be in a Rubik's Cube. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about something that is a conundrum. I, I feel that the scriptures explain it. I feel like I have the correct interpretation on it, but I may not. We're going to talk about the curse of Jeconiah. We're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. Now, why are we going to talk about that? Well, Jeconiah is the same person as Jehoiachin the king that we talked about last week. And he's also known by the name of Kaniah. And there is a curse in the book of Jeremiah that says his descendants will not sit on the throne of David. The conundrum comes in that in the book of Matthew, Jeconiah is listed as one of the names on the Davidic line to the Messiah. So there is a curse, but it is a conundrum, and we'll explain that tonight. I really really do feel like um, we need to talk about him because this you'll, you'll hear this around Christmas time when they go through the genealogy. You'll come to Jeconiah or Jehoiachin, and, and how can he be there with that curse? Well, we'll talk about that. Well, Let's take a look at our review. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll move on. So we talked about Jehoiachin last time in chapter 24 of 2 Kings. And he became the king after his father, Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, and then his son, Jehoiachin, or Jeconiah, or Kaniah. Well, Jehoiachin... Um, only reigned three months. And yet, in those three months, it was said that he did evil in the sight of the Lord like his father. That's an awful short time to do that much evil, and yet he did. Now, 2 Kings doesn't talk about the curse of Jeconiah, but because it's part of the chronology, it's part of the events, we have to turn to Jeremiah to see it. Well, what happened? Well, we do know that in 2 Kings, Nebuchadnezzar was getting more powerful. He was putting Egypt at bay. He had virtually taken away Assyria's power. He goes up against Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, Jehoiachin surrenders to him, and he gets taken into Babylonian captivity. He's carried away. The treasures are carried away. Some, some of the, uh, the pieces of uh, 
of the house of the king are taken, and then the skilled laborers are taken. So what's, what's happening here? Nebuchadnezzar is building up Babylon, and he's taking the best of the best. He's, he's the ruler. He's the victor, and the spoils go with him. That's about as far as we got last week, um, and that really is pretty much the end of Jehoiachin. But we did talk about something else. There are three deportations with Judah. So when we talk about the Babylonian captivity, uh, you know, it's the big event, just like the Assyrian captivity, a big event. Well, there were three big events with Judah. The first one was in 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar came down to Judah, to Israel, and took a whole bunch of treasures and also took some of the, the, uh, the best young men to train them to be officials in his kingdom, uh, as well as warriors. So he's building up Babylon using the Israelites. And guess who was one of those Israelites? Daniel. And we find that in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. That's the first deportation. The second deportation is just what we talked about, Jehoiachin. Nebuchadnezzar came again, and Jehoiachin surrendered, and he was taken into captivity, and various others were taken into captivity, and more of the treasures were taken, the best of the best. That's the second deportation. The third one is at the end of the book, and it is the final one. And it will be under the king Zedekiah, the last reigning king uh, of Judah. So that's where we're at with all of this, but we're, we're going to pause because we want to take a look at Jeremiah and look at Jeremiah's curse on Jeconiah. Before we go any further, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we, we see these pronouncements of prophecy, both of good tidings as well as cursings. And Father, we, we see that the cursings come because of sin, and we see that the good tidings come because of grace. Father, as we look at these things this evening, would you give us wisdom? Wisdom of the truthfulness of your word, but also, Lord, the future prophecy of the Messiah through the lineage that we see in both Matthew and Luke. So, Father, we ask you to give us wisdom. Help us to understand this Rubik's Cube, this conundrum, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are entitling this Jeconiah's curse will be in Jeremiah chapter 22, so I'll ask you to turn there. Jeremiah 22, uh, we'll begin with verse 24, but we're also going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then we'll be looking at Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. All right, so in Jeremiah chapter 22, Let's just go ahead and read these uh, several verses, and then we'll go back and we'll work our way through. So here in the midst of Jeremiah, and remember, Jeremiah was the prophet during uh, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, who we're talking about now, Jeconiah, or, and 
Zebediah. So he was the prophet during their reign. And in the midst of that, there comes a curse on Kaniah, who is Jeconiah, who is Jehoiachin. And verse 24 says, As I live, declares the Lord, even though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But as for the land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they had not known? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days. For no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So let me remind you, this curse is precipitated by his three-month reign. And because of that three-month reign, it is described as he did evil in the sight of the Lord, just like his father Jehoiakim. So it would certainly be idolatry, uh, as well as a host of other sins. And so this is incredible. He's going to go. Uh, you know, you're looking at the who's who of the kings, and we're looking at the bad ones. We're looking at Manasseh, and we're looking at Ahaz and Ahab and all of these others. Um, and yet, we could put Jeconiah right up there, even though he was only in for three months. Now, let's look at verse 24. Verse 24, the Lord says, As I live, which he is an eternal God, he is real, and it's a reality. If there's anything certain, it's that he lives. So if he lives, this prophecy is based on the reality that he exists, declares the Lord. Even though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. Now, the signet ring is the ring that an authority would wear many times the king, and he would maybe send a letter or a document to someone. They would seal it, have wax, and he would put his signet ring in there, and no one had the authority to open it except the person to whom it was written. Basically, metaphorically, God is saying, look, you're like a signet ring on my hand. I put you in authority. You are a king over my people. But I'm going to take that, that, that ring off. I'm going to 
pull it off. And so it's talking about removing Jeconiah, not just from reigning, but his descendants as reigning. They're going to be kept from reigning on uh, the throne of David. Now look at verse 25. And again, what, what is so interesting here is we've already, we've already seen this in the book of 2 Kings, but Jeremiah is prophesying it here. And verse 25 says, And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the hand of those whom you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of Chaldeans. So not only is this a prophecy, but it's a curse. And part of the curse for Jeconiah is you're going into captivity. You and your mother are going into captivity. And in a roundabout way, it's going to signify the interruption, the end of the kings of the throne of David and an interruption until it's fulfilled by Jesus, the Messiah. What I like about this prophecy is it says the name of the king and the name of the nation. You know, uh, around this time, you always hear it that there's these uh, fortune tellers and people who know the future, and they, and they give out these things. Well, they're so general. You know, it would be something like, you know, I, I sense that sometime in 2024, we're going to have below zero weather. <laughs> and that's going to happen in a few days. Well, uh, but, but the prophecy is specific because it's God who's bringing it about. And God names the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he names the nation, Babylon, which is the same as the Chaldeans. But there's one other thing to, to notice here. It's the Lord who gives Jeconiah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So God is in control, is he not? And he is doing exactly what he had said long ago. If you fall and follow after other gods, I will eventually turn my back on you and send you away into a foreign land and remove you from the promised land. We've been talking about it, but here it is. And here it comes. And it's going to be with this curse on Jeconiah. Now, verse 26, it says, I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born. And I just want to stop there. Now, when we were going through the book of Jeremiah and other, other books, the word hurl is a, is a word of punishment. You can imagine somebody getting full of anger and wrath, grabbing something and hurling it. Well, what God is going to do is hurl Jeconiah and his mother. He's going to hurl them. This is the idea of punishment, and it's specifically on Jeconiah. We don't know about his mother, but, you know, one could speculate, and you want to be careful, you know, one could speculate that she was a part of the evil that he was doing. She wasn't trying to stop him at all. Uh, we, we surmise. And not only is it his mother... But also we find out the treasure is going to be taken. We saw that in 
24 of 2 Kings, chapter 24. Then we saw skilled laborers. And again, each time he came, he took the best of the best. And then what was left, he took the best of the best. We're going to see the third deportation. He's going to take most of the rest. But that which is poor, that which is useless to him, he's going to leave in Jerusalem. So they are hurled into captivity. But now notice, if you will, that last phrase, it says in there, you will die. So however long he was going to be in captivity, he's never getting out. And I'll let you in on a little secret. He was in captivity for 37 years. He was in captivity after Jerusalem fell. He was in captivity after Judah had been taken itself into the Babylonian captivity. But eventually he would die. Now notice for verse 27, this goes along with the last verse. Notice it says, but as for the land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. So for those 37 years, he would desire to be returned, uh, but he does not. He is kept alive. One other thing that we do find out, and we won't find this out until we get into chapter 25, but Jeconiah is there, and he is treated with some mercy, he and his mother. Um, and then at some point, he is brought out of prison, but not sent back to Jerusalem. He is uh, pulled out of prison, and he would even eat with the king. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 27 through 29. So this happens in a period of 37 years. Look at what it says here. Chapter 25, 2 Kings, verses 27 through 29. Now it came about in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, that's Jeconiah, Ganiah, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. So this is another king other than Nebuchadnezzar. And he spoke kindly to him and set his throne above the throne of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes and had his meals in the king's presence regularly all the days of his life. Of course, that's where he stayed. He stayed in there. But that's this idea. You're going to desire to return, but you're never going to return. Now, what kind of man was Jeconiah. And again, there's not a whole lot of detail other than he did evil in the sight of the Lord like his father Jehoiakim in just three months, enough to earn that title. But here's what God really thinks of him. Verse 28. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, shattered jar? And this is rhetorical. Yes, he is. He is despised. He is a shattered jar. Or is he an undesirable vessel? Yes, he is. Why have he and his descendants been hurled out? Notice his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they had not known. Now, I want to kind of go through this for just a moment because one of the reasons why some people think that this is being said is because at this time, 
um, Zedekiah is the king of Judah. This is before the fall, the complete destruction. And the people are perhaps wanting, and I don't know why, Jeconiah to come back. Well, it could be because Zedekiah wasn't that good of a king either. And he was Josiah's son. So I told you, with Josiah, that's the last breath of fresh air, and then it's going to get stinky. Uh, you know, the, the kings, the sons and grandsons are not going to be good. Well, the people may have wanted him and desired him, but God despised him. Hence the curse. He may be someone that could help them stabilize, but to God, he was a shattered jar. And you can imagine this pottery, and when pottery shatters, it's all over, and you find all of these pieces. And he might be desirable, more desirable than Zedekiah, but to God, he was undesirable, and he wasn't going back. And so this was the description that God gave of him. And you know, you must have been bad if you and your descendants were kicked out, were hurled out. And then we come to verse 29. And it's very interesting. Um, and I, I really love the emotion of God's word. I love the emotion of this prophecy from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is speaking to the people. But he's using a metaphorical term as if he's speaking to the land where the people live. And, and he's trying to get their attention. Have you ever talked to someone and every time you talk to them, they're not paying attention? And then you have to just say, hey, wait a second. You know, whether you do this, you know, your eyes, my eyes, whatever. Like, like sometimes little children, you know, you, you, can't, you can't get them away from what they're doing. Hey, I'm not, you know, you stand in front of them. That's kind of what he does. Oh, land. Land land and then he says hear the word of the lord let me get your attention because you need to hear this you need to hear the word of the lord and here it is the detailed pronouncement and judgment and curse upon jeconiah thus says the lord verse 30 write this man down childless a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper, sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. The curse is, is that he's not going to rule, and neither will any of his descendants rule on the throne of David. They will be discontinued from the descendancy. And that's exactly what happens. Um, that's exactly what happens. Let's go through this. Now, now, I believe these are metaphors. When it says childless, record him as childless, he does have children, and he has children in exile. Uh, we could turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 17. It says, the sons of Jeconiah, the prisoner, were Shealtiel, his son, and then it mentions some others. And Shealtiel... We want to mark that name because we'll be looking at him shortly. So uh, this isn't where God's saying you're literally going to be childless, but you're going to be childless in reference to somebody sitting on the throne from your descendants. And then he says, just like you're not going to prosper because, hello, you're in Babylon, 
neither are your descendants going to prosper. Now, I really believe this is a metaphor. You're not going to prosper on the throne because you're not going to be on the throne. And it's this next phrase that I think we get the literal explanation of the curse. No descendant of yours will be on the throne. And he says that. For no man of his descendants, and this is what he meant by childless, will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. And in essence, that happened. Okay, what's the big deal? Well, now let's turn to Matthew. Because we find in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we see the name Jeconiah. How can he be in the line to the Messiah when he was cursed? that none of his descendants will be on the throne. Well, that's a conundrum. That's a Rubik's Cube. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 1. Then I want to hop down. And it begins... The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But there's a name in here, Jeconiah. Drop down, if you would, to verses 11 and 12. By the way, by the way, before we, before we look at his name, what is interesting here, this genealogy is the names of the kings of Judah. What, what I'm happy to say, usually when we come to genealogies, it's, you know, let's just skip that part. Let's go on. But we've spent enough time in 2 Kings. I'm going to read these names, and they're going to be familiar to you. So let me go back up. Now, I want to pick it up from David, okay? I don't want to go before David, although Matthew does that. But in verse 6, it says, Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Scripture's very honest, isn't it? But Solomon. And then Solomon was the father of who? Rehoboam. In fact, in fact, let's take a look here. You remember that? So Rehoboam, and then there was Jeroboam of the northern kingdom, and they split. Well, then he starts to talk about who's next. Uh, and I didn't have enough room, as you know, to put all these names in. But then we have who was the father of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asa. And do you remember Asa? He was a good king and he ruled for a long time. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Does that sound familiar? Joram, the father of Uzziah. And then Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Now, if you're looking at a list there were some kings that are kept out, not because that they weren't in the genealogy, but that is not an uncommon thing to um, sometimes skip the, ge the, the members in the genealogy. Not that they're not really in the genealogy, but he goes to the important ones. He, he goes to verse 9, Ahaz. Remember Ahaz? He was the one that was involved in Isaiah's prophecy. Um, you know, here, Ahaz, you give me a sign. You won't give me a sign? 
Well, behold, I'll give you a sign. And that is the idea that a virgin will be with child. She will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. That was Ahaz. Then as evil as he was, he was the father of Hezekiah. And just like was asked last week by Ed, you know, where's the pattern? I have no idea. I would like to see a pattern. And then from Hezekiah, good, good king, we get to Manasseh, evil king. Although he was good toward the end, God says, you're the straw that broke the camel's back. Then we have the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Yes, but then look at verse 11. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah. Whatever happened to the rest of the kings? Well, they're there, but this is how the line is going, and the line is going to go through Jeconiah, but the problem is Jeconiah has a curse. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Whenever you read this genealogy and you see that, you're going to remember this. And then verse 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Okay? So they're going to be play a part in this conundrum. But already we have to ask the question, why is he in there? And why is he in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Well, to make matters more complicated, let's say we have half of the uh, you know, Rubik's Cube figured out. Now we have to get the other half. And when we go to get the other half figured out, now we lost the first half. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to Haggai chapter 2, verse 23. This, this is kind of like an, an Arubic cue. All right. So Haggai, the last verse, chapter 2, verse 23, he says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant describes the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So we have a curse. What do we have here? Do we have a reversal of the curse? Well, we're going to answer that. So we have this conundrum. Why is Jeconiah in the genealogy of the Messiah? And did Zerubbabel become a signet ring now? Did he become... Someone who reversed the curse? Is that why it can all be in there? But even still, why is Jeconiah in there? Well, let's try to answer some of these. All right, the first thing that we want to do then is we want to look at the two genealogies in the Gospels. There's one in Matthew and there's one in Luke. They are not identical. And in fact, they have some differences about them. And so let's take a look if we can. <clears throat> All right, so on the left is Matthew chapter 1, and on the right is Luke chapter 3. The first thing we see is, that's different, is, and this isn't a big deal, but it is different. Matthew uh, begins uh, from the back, 
to the oldest descendant that he went back to, which was Abraham, comes all the way to the front to Jesus Christ. Luke, on the other hand, starts in the front. Look at verse 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi. And he goes all the way back. So just the direction is different. It doesn't mean a whole lot. In fact, one of the things that I did do was I turned Luke's genealogy around so we could follow it a little better. But the other thing that we should notice, and there's, there's quite a few differences, is that Matthew only goes back to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. One of the things that would be a distinction there, Abraham being involved in the Abrahamic covenant where the Jews came from. Matthew is the book to the Jews that Jesus is king. Luke, on the other hand, goes back to Adam because what does Luke do? He proves that Jesus Christ is human. He's the God-man. So that is very, very interesting, and we see that. Now, why two genealogies and they're not the same? Well, I think it's obvious. That would mean one is Joseph's lineage and the other one is Mary's. They couldn't be both Joseph's with different names in the genealogy and they couldn't be both Mary's. So the logical thing is one's Joseph's and one's Mary's. Well, we'll even look at the differences in them. Um, we would say that Matthew 1 is Joseph's and is the royal line. I, I read the names of the kings there, and we recognized the kings. We went through first and second kings, and we saw them. But when it comes to Mary, it's not the legal line, but it's the bloodline. After all, Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Mary is the biological mother of Jesus with no father. Now, let me just say from the get-go, you can imagine that there are different interpretations in this. Not everybody takes this, and that's okay. And you will hear all kinds of things that they'll reverse it, and they'll say Matthew is Mary's, and Luke is Joseph's. And, and there are arguments. I, I don't know that the arguments are good. They think they are, but... There are arguments, and so one thing I will say is no matter which view you take, you are going to run into a few problems. You're basically going to get the Rubik's Cube done, but you're going to have one color, one little cube out of sync, okay, and you're just not sure. But I, I, I really think uh, this is the way that this is uh, given by God. Uh, we're we're going to see. I think it fits together. So we... We see here that um, Joseph is not the biological father. So the wording is specific. And, and when we talk about this at Christmas time and we talk about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do go back to these verses to show that. First of all, look at Matthew on the left. Let's see. Zoom in more. Okay. Um, Matthew, uh, verse 16, and I have it highlighted in yellow on the left. So we go down through this genealogy, 
and it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, which he was, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. That little phrase, by whom, is in the singular. It's not both parents. The only thing that that's saying is that Jesus, uh, Joseph was the husband of Mary. It does not say he was the biological father, but it does say that Mary is the biological mother. Joseph, the husband of Mary, yeah, yeah. Who, by whom, singular, her, Jesus was born. So we're seeing here that, that he, this is, this is uh, probably Joseph's line, but it's showing that it's not his bloodline. It's the royal line. And then we go over to Luke. Look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 3. It begins from front to back. It begins with Jesus. So notice what it says. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, catch this, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. He wasn't the son of Joseph, but was as supposed. So the scriptures are very clear. Joseph is not the biological father. But he can become the legal royal line, okay? He, he did become Jesus' legal father, which allowed that genealogy to work its way all the way down to Jesus. Now, that means since he's not of the bloodline of Joseph, or Shealtiel, or Zerubbabel, or Jeconiah. It doesn't come from the bloodline. He comes from the legal line. So this is fulfilling that. Jesus, being the Messiah to sit on the throne of David, is not from the bloodline, one of his descendants of Jeconiah. But he does have to be of a bloodline, right? Right? 